Hello, my friends. Today, Joel is talking to John, the founder and CEO of Executive Brand Growth, and they discuss why marketers ruin everything, how to get started creating a strong personal brand, and what it takes to put out a Gary V level of content for your personal brand. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. is the Modern CTO Podcast. With this episode being about tips for executives, technology professionals to become more known, and yeah. get their content out there, not necessarily be famous, but just to have some content out there in the world so people can learn a little bit more about you after they meet you in person. Yeah. Maybe it's just a friend at a conference. Maybe it's professional opportunity. Mm-hmm. How do we sum up what the couple ideas that we've had? Can you give me like a quick 30, 60 second rundown of the handful of things they should be doing Absolutely. and thinking about? I would get them, number one is think about that first impression. Right. Think about how if if you had just a few seconds for to not convince somebody, but to befriend someone, right, and then build a, a long-lasting relationship, what would you do instead of what you're doing now? Right. So instead of what you're doing now is like, here's my accolades, here's my trophies. Like you want to know me, you want to, you know, connect with me because I'm important. Instead of that angle what would you do different if you're really just trying to make a long-term friend right, in this industry? Like what, what would you change about your bio, about your photo, about what you talk about, right? That would be my first thing is, is that, that you got to break through that croc mentality, that security you know, system that we have in our brain. And the, the most automated way to do that is to optimize your platforms, optimize your LinkedIn, your bio, your photo, your banner is really important. If you have no banner, like that's like red flags security system <laughs> for some reason, right? <laughs> I don't know why. You don't have a bio, you don't have a profile pic. Robot. I'm like, yeah, I'm yeah. like okay, robot. <laughs> you got an egg on your Twitter profile? <laughs> Not going to follow exist. you. You don't exist. And, and that's the sad truth, right? Like the harsh truth is that if you're not optimizing those things or not thinking about those things, you just, you get lost in the sauce or you get lost in the noise of social media. And, you know, you're missing out on the authentic connectivities that you can create and you're creating a barrier or friction between you and someone that could be a long lasting business partner or something like that in the future. Right. So in order to reverse engineer and let go or, or create a non-friction environment, I call it a disarming uh, profile. Right. How do you create a disarming personal brand? Right. Well, how would you meet someone for the first time if you saw them at a family get together or a company party? You don't start naming off your accolades. I could tell you that, right? Like that's not how you build a relationship and you don't go for the phone number first, right? You're like, man, this is, you, you got to see if there's any synergy. So you got to optimize your profile and the way you present yourself to the world because you get only one first impression, right? When people, when I, I love asking, Hey, what was your first impression of me? Uh, before it was like, man, I was really intimidated. Like, 
I was like, oh my gosh, I got to change my persona. Like I got to smile more or do something, right? It took me a long time to figure out that, uh, how to create this disarming persona because if I'm in the business of business, my goal as a business is to create impact. You know, sales, yes, obviously, but first impact. And then that's the first thing I would think about. The second thing I would think about is ask yourself, what are the three things you want the world to know you for? What are three things? Because three things are manageable, right? When you're making content, if you're asking yourself, what kind of content should I make? You go back to the three things, write it on a piece of paper, write it and put it in your, your purse, your wallet, wherever, and go back to that. Those are called content pillars. Those are called, you know, uh, value, core values, right? What are the three things you want the world to know about you? And what three things do you want to create in your world? Right? So if it's, um, you know, business leadership, thought leadership, or, you know, you talk about tech, like people know you, Joel, and, you know, CTOs, like you're, you're talking nerdy stuff, engineering, right? That's how people know you, but other people will see you as a, as a family man, right? Or, uh, or, or an entrepreneur, right? So there's like three things um, in the scope of, of what we do on our, our daily basis. So you got to ask yourself, what are those three things that I want people to know me for? And then if you're not creating content or if you're creating content that doesn't align with those three things, I call that random acts of content. You're just making random stuff and hoping that someone would care, right? But that's the other thing. You, you got to think about what do you want to try, try? What are you trying to say? And who's your audience that you're saying it to? Right? You got to think about what kind of value would they get from this post? Right? What kind of like, th would this disarm me as a personal brand? Because as a leader, it's intimidating, right? Like when you reached out to, to you know, Vayner, <laughs> uh, head of, uh, what was it? Yeah, Claude. Yeah, Claude. Yeah intimidating to be like, what, what do I say? What kind of email should I write? And I bet you were like, oh, thinking about it really hard. Like, this is my one chance, oh, right? Me? No, no, no. No? no. I'm a volume guy. <laughs> 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 I just started texting her. <laughs> no, she, That's great. But most, no, most normal I, people that aren't you <laughs> are overthinking. Before I made content, before I made content, yes. I, was, I was very shy. Yeah. But yeah. what happened was when I started inviting people on the podcast, when I started the podcast, I realized, oh, wow. So like you have to invite a hundred people on before one will come on. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, cool. So if I want uh, like to talk to somebody in an area, that's why I pick the area. Like I pick the topic. Yeah. This, this next week we're doing something with, um, uh, ransomware negotiators, basically oh. like hostage negotiators for data. Are you getting, yeah. oh my so, gosh, I got to tune in. Yeah, so we're having people, they they actually negotiate between the criminals and the victims. That's a lot on, of risk, you know, high risk. Yeah, it's crazy, right? So I need to hear like your story. Yeah. Like, how did you get into this? Oh my gosh, bro. Um, the way it started was actually an accident. Uh, I accidentally fell into marketing and I don't even like the term marketing, but that's what it is, I guess. That's the term we use, but it, it happened because, um, you know, of MySpace and technology and the internet and social media started blowing up and stuff. And I, I, you know, I grew up in like, we're fairly the same age. So like, you know, millennials, I don't even like that word, but 
we're a different kind of millennial, you know, but late born in the late eighties, right. We're like nineties kids and stuff like that. We still, we remember the days where dial up, you know, happened and stuff like that. So like we kind of adopted the technology, but you know, it, it goes way back to, you know, um, even my, my whole life journey and story, I, I was adopted as a baby and I was also the first generation of immigrant parents. So my dad was like in Vietnam and he came from the Philippines. So my mom, she came from the Philippines. They started a brand new life in the States and, and they adopted me um, when they were a lot older. And I felt like I had this like you know, kind of like not disadvantaged, but I felt like I had to like work 10 times harder in life. And I felt like I had, you know, to, to just do better than everybody else or feel like I had to work harder than everybody else. Cause everybody was just, you know, born for greatness. And I was like, I don't even know where I come from. I felt like that, you know, mentality. So I really naturally gravitated towards creativity because my dad, he always, took photos as I was a kid. Anytime that we went on vacation and we went on a lot of vacations, um, he always brought his camera out and he was always taking photos. I remember I was just like a little kid and I was just so fascinated because, you know, he'd go get them developed and we'd look at the photos growing up. And I remember picking up my first camera at a very, very young age and, and then having a video camera when I was like 10 years old. And, you know, me and my friends, like, because I was so drawn to creativity and, and music and it was just so out of the box. It was so like, not, you know, towards any Asian culture because, you know, I'm a, a male Filipino. So like typically we'd go like the, the nurse doctor route and like, you know, government job security. But I was just like, ah, that doesn't really intrigue me. And I just have this creativity inside me and I just want to explore that and express that. So you know, I started filming like my friends and they were skateboarding, you know, when I was a lot younger and I was like, oh, this is amazing. Like, this is so much fun. I get to create something that never existed. And here it is. I get to watch it. I get to play it back. I get to almost encapsulate this moment in time and just rewatch it over and over and over again. It was very fascinating to me. And if we move forward, like I started editing and, and doing all these things in high school. And I was like, I just stuck to creativity and music and audio and all that stuff. Then MySpace came and I was like, I just want to be a rock star. I want to play music, write music. I want to express myself. MySpace was totally mind blowing to me because I could share stuff and people would find it. And I mean, the whole top eight thing was a little crazy. I was always switching my friends. I'm like, mm you're not my friend this week. We're just going to move you down. <laughs> but uh, the whole concept, I think it was the technology that blew me away. And growing up, you know, I think creativity and technology was like the biggest things in my life that I gravitated towards. I, like my parents would get really frustrated at me because I would take things apart, like radios and remote controls and like all kinds of stuff. I just wanted to know how they worked. Like, how did this thing work how how was it designed and how did it function and then had the creativity part i probably drove my parents nuts as a as i was growing up but when myspace came it was really fascinating because i started learning how to play with audio and engineering i used to actually record my uh my music when i was in in high school in my bedroom and i just started learning and you know we had the fascinating thing about like, you know, Yahoo and, and all these search engines. I was like, 
how do you record? So I went to like a guitar center. Most of my life in high school was spent at guitar center, just kind of like purchasing gear and testing things out. And I was like, oh, I'm going to record this. I'm going to put it on MySpace. And then like, oh, I'm going to learn HTML, right? So most of the coders out there are like, yeah, I was a, I was a MySpace coder. I used, I learned HTML. That's what got me in to the engineering and coding and programming space, you know? And when I was in high school, I was learning like CSS and all, all kinds of stuff. Um, and oh, C plus and all that stuff. I was like, oh, this is fascinating. I could integrate this into MySpace because you could code it. So I started designing MySpace pages when I was in high school for local bands. I was like, oh, this is rad. I'm going to build these MySpace pages for bands and they're going to give me money to do it. That's cool. And people are going to see the work that I do and they're going to be like, who did your MySpace? Oh, John did. And later you know, on, I learned my name was getting around, starting to build more MySpace pages. And then that led into just developing more content like photography and, and filmmaking. I graduated high school, went to art school for six years in Santa Monica, the Art Institute. And funny enough, it was like a two-year program. And I was like, I'm going to stick around for a while. <laughs> you know, so I was also working in the industry and I just was so fascinated by the technology and you know, I started in Windows Movie Maker when I was in middle school and high school and then graduated to Final Cut. And then when Final Cut made that shift to Final Cut X, I was like, uh, like it's like a glorified Windows Movie Maker. I need to switch over to Adobe. And then I learned all that stuff through the industry. And I was like, I just want to learn everything that has to do with creativity and online and connecting people to people and showing the work. And I was obsessed. I was literally obsessed. And what happened was I started um, just doing so much work that I was getting emails and calls from businesses and, and entertainment companies like E Entertainment and Capital Records and all the, you know, every like local business and businesses in, in Los Angeles, because that's where I was based. And I was just like, yeah, I'll do the work. Yeah, I'll do it for free okay, I just want to learn. I want to gain experience. So I started getting to that and I started directing uh, commercials and then music videos. And I was just getting all kinds of like learnings. And I was like, oh, okay. Like this is what marketing is. Like you're getting attention. And I started filming and, and you know, kind of going, uh, following around influential people and filming them like LL Cool J and, you know, people that are in LA. And I was like, oh, this is a thing. Like I get to follow celebrities around and, and then they post it on whatever outlets they want or post it on, you know, TV and MTV and all that stuff. They get to use my content. That is the wildest thing to see your content on TV. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, what is this all about? And so that was kind of like my journey. And, and in my late twenties, I started using that in uh, marketing strategies and, and developing a lot of techniques and processes for companies that were trying to, you know, really get their hand on the internet, the power of marketing and branding. And over the years, I just learned like, you know, the best way to build brands is, is through people and, and personas and, and, that's like the closest thing, you know, to, to great marketing is tying it to a person and the mission that they're on and, and the why and why they're a part of this company. Why do they believe in this brand? Why do they, you know, do what they do every single morning? Like, those are the things that really intrigued me. And I was like, how do I help them tell their story better? So I spent a lot of time, you know, working and alongside of 
of these people. I've learned so much and been very blessed to, to do the work that I do now. So that that's kind of like the journey in a nutshell. <laughs> I like that you mentioned, like, how can I help people tell their story better? Because, you know, I see a lot of bios, right? Yeah. Because it's part of our preparation process. So I've seen I've literally read over 400 of these from, and then, and then gotten to meet the person, right? So usually you read a bunch of bios and you decide who you want to meet mm-hmm. um, from that, you know, if you're hiring, but I, I read these bios and then I meet them and rarely does someone start with why they do what they do, which is like a very Simon Sinek thing. Yes. And I love it. Yeah. Uh, usually, usually it's like, uh, you know, Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so is an expert in, you know, science and space and has, you know, piloted three missions to (laughs) Mars and, you know, and it goes on their technical achievements and everything like that. And I'm sitting there like, are they married? Do they have kids? Do they, are they at soccer? Like what's their Friday nights looking like? Are they at soccer games? (laughs) I want to connect with them on a, on a human level, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, I think you're right. And, you know, I always say like the future of business is personal and, we're here to create human to human impact, you know, and there's a lot of terms. And I always say, I always heard, and since I've heard this term, I, it's just always stuck in my head how marketers ruin everything. Like they, they just ruin everything because once there's a trend going, it's like, oh, that's done so successfully well. But once a trend started, it was because someone decided to just test something and it just happened to go well and then that became a trend in marketing so everybody in the marketing space is like i saw that person dude i'm going to do that too so like when you know when um and we're going to deep dive into all that and and the history of marketing because it's really important to understand when it comes to personal branding but when people started spending um facebook ads and all that stuff when that first came not that many people understood it not that many people you know, spent Facebook ads until marketers started saying, you know, you got to do Facebook ads. You know, Gary Vaynerchuk started saying, you got to spend money on Facebook. And then everybody was like, oh, I got to spend money on Facebook. What if I built a whole agency on Facebook marketing, you know, ad spending? And everybody started flooding the scene. It started becoming very noisy. And you even look at today's platforms like Instagram and Facebook and even LinkedIn and Twitter, it's just ad after ad after ad. And it's just getting so noisy that when you say something human, it gets a lot of attention because it's in a world full of robots and ads and AI. How do you stand out as a brand? Well, talk like a human. Simple. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's like how you can stand out in your bio. Yeah. Like, talk like a human in your bio. Yeah. Like I always say, and this is probably not really good advice, but I'm just going to say it anyway. You know, when I have people ask me all the time, John, how do you write your bio? Like you're just so natural, authentic, you know? And, and I'm like, well, thank you. I'm not trying to like fluff my head up or anything like that. But my advice is always just like, Hey, like write your bio. Like you just are having a, a, a beer or wine with a friend and just talk like you would talk to a friend because it's about human to human impact. And it's about like, you know, I I mean, I also see a lot of bios and I also see a lot of pages, you know, especially on LinkedIn, all these experts in their field. And I think again, why marketers ruin everything is because they, they're like, this is the formula for your bio, how to build a perfect bio. And it's pretty much, 
you start with I help, and then you add who you help and how you help it and what time they help it in. And it's very formulaic. And that's why marketers ruin everything. They create like a formula um, that's used over and over and over again. And when you do that, and when you saturate the market with this formula, well, you, you get lost in the noise. They all look the same. And it always feels like a sales pitch. So if you could just be like, you know what? I'm like you know, on my Twitter bio, I'm like, I'm a dad. I'm, I'm you know, I'm a husband. Uh, I, I get to do this stuff. You know, I get to be a part of this community of marketing, you know, and it's, it's like, yes, it has its ups and downs and good parts and bad parts like any family does, but I'm part of it. Uh, Cause I get to, you know, make content and share that content and help others make content because that's really, really important when it comes to marketing. It's like, okay, you got to make stuff for people to see. Well, how are you going to make stuff? I don't know. I just thought, especially with an engineer industry in the engineer space, well, I've been so focused on building this prototype for six, seven, eight months, maybe a year. I didn't even think when I was done, what's next? <laughs> that that they, A lot of them come to me and they're like, well, I got this thing. It's phenomenal. It could solve a lot of the world's problems but no one knows about it, John. And I'm like, yeah, they don't. Well, marketing, you know, uh, they're not the greatest marketers. I could just say that, you know, so. <laughs> so for, for like executive personal brand type conversation, the things that I liked about your profile that stood out to me the first time I looked you up is you had a really great headshot photo. It wasn't oh, like boring. It wasn't childish. It had this like interesting balance of it was professional, it was cool, it was unique. You had some, uh, you had a nice bold color in your background that complemented you, right? <laughs> yeah. And because uh, like I, I was like, that's a cool yellow, but it doesn't work with my face. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I just know my skin tones. You know, like what right? complements my skin tones. <laughs> there you go. Self awareness. Yeah, I, I think that's important, so, though. You know, to, of course, to point out like. How do you not? How do you not lose your personality in an industry full of professionals? Right. You just have to relentlessly be obsessed with being yourself. Boom! Mic drop. Boom! We can end this here. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's more. There's more. All right. So I, we we talked about like the the profile page. Like we got the photo. We got some. So. A good photo that represents your personality yeah. and it's like not dry and boring yeah. and like not you out drinking at a baseball game. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. That uh, <laughs> and then you've got a uh, bio that's written in a way that stands out. So what I like, I play this game where we'll call like, we'll go get 10 of something. Like if we're designing a new podcast, yeah. right. We'll look at the category, look at the top 10 and we'll put them all side by side. And we say, how do we make this one look like it belongs, but also stand out. Mm, right. That's so it good. has to look like the set, but also stand out. Yeah. And so we'll play that game with the designers so that we get something that when you look at it, you're like, Oh, that looks like it's a top podcast. Yeah. We're like, yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's also a psychological effect. That's called the mere exposure effect, or some people call it the familiarity effect. So if you're building something or creating a design, or coming up with the name of a podcast, really like there is already a psychological anchor that people are attached to. 
right? That they see bombarded every single day on their feed or their, their favorite podcast or their favorite whatever. They've been already assimilated to that style, the brand, the language. So when you're introducing something new to the industry or into their, you know, your audience and you're trying to inject something that feels familiar, but it's also different, it's really good to kind of steer towards the familiarity, but also have one kind of twist when it comes to the marketing part or the messaging or the style or the colors, right? So that's really important. Yes. That first impression, beautiful profile page or whatnot, maybe let's just go with LinkedIn for this discussion, right? It's like a nice LinkedIn profile. I was just trying to think like, there's so many things you can do when it comes to content creation. That was one of the things I found out really fast, (laughs) right? Everyone's like, how do you produce so much content? I'm like, we don't produce a 10th of the content I want to produce. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You have to, you have to pick and and prioritize. But, um, when you, when you look at the landscape, right, if you want to stand out as an executive, you can, uh, you write a blog post maybe. Well, I, I would say that like doing that profile stuff is probably the most important. Yeah. Because when you get into uh, like blogs and, and books and things like those types of content, I find personally that I use those after the initial intro. So let's like, yes. let's scope the conversation even farther to hiring or bringing a partner on. Yeah. Like it doesn't have to just be hiring for a job. You could be bringing a business partner on and you're, and you're researching this person. <laughs> Step one, you know, are they professional? Are they clean? Do they match my style? Yeah. And you can't be everything to everybody. That's why you have to just be you really That's intentionally. Yeah. If your audience isn't familiar with kind of like how the, you know, um, stranger to client journey is like the funnel of marketing. Cause it applies to really not just a brand, but it applies to your personal persona, your brand online, your LinkedIn page, right? That how does someone go from stranger to like, oh, like we're friends now. Actually, we're you're a client of mine, right? So how do you go through that stage? And it's there's a process. And again, I think the reason why marketers ruin everything is that they try to expedite the process, right? They try to close a sale when they put up an ad. And that's not what marketing is. Marketing is a department. It's, it's, a, it's a living, breathing thing where you're supposed to test, learn, and adapt. But most of the times, executives or, or teams or a marketing team would really ruin the process because they try to attach sales because they're like, well, ROI, ROI, how do we, how do we, have some, how do we set up some key performing indicators for this, our marketing budget? How do we you know, close the books on marketing or, or make sense for our bottom line? But that's not what marketing is designed for, right? Marketing is designed for attention. Marketing is designed for, to, to, to build trust, right? And personal branding, I think, is simplified in, in, in the word trust, because it's personal, you're building trust in your whole career. You're building trust as a personal brand, as, as a person, right? And it's a fastest way to gain trust is because you have a consistent reputation in the market. So going over kind of like the history or like the funnel of marketing kind of follows, you know, the first impression and then the consideration and all that other stuff. But it starts with the top, which is uh, exposure, how do people find you? And there's like three categories that I'd like to, or like three degrees of exposure. I really love to talk about a lot, which is that first degree, 
which is your first degree, right? If you're on LinkedIn, you know how it says like, oh, your first degree away from, you know, who your friend or they want a friend request you or follow you. It's like, oh, I know him, you know, that's Brad, right? That's Joel. Like, yeah, of course, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and follow, right? We're going to connect on LinkedIn. That's my first degree. And the second degree is, is that is like, you know what, this is a friend of a friend. So Joel, you were my second degree through Brad, right? So we made a connection and then we started getting into a discovery phase a little bit. You're like, let me do a little research. You know, I need to know who this person is. And then, which is great because that kind of brings you a little bit closer, right? In proximity. And then that third degree is you're not really friends, but you heard about the person and they're not really in your circle, but you found you've been exposed to their podcasts. Maybe they were, uh, they wrote an article on Forbes. Maybe they were a guest on someone's show. Maybe you found their book in uh, the Barnes and Noble section, or, you know, you downloaded a PDF or white paper. That's an, that's where I absolutely would love to see executives thriving the most in that third degree of impact when it comes to their personal brand. And there's also a bonus <laughs> degree. It's the fourth degree, which is, the person that you admire in the industry, maybe it's not even your industry, but it's like, you know, uh, like I admire the Gary Vaynerchuks, right? And when you get, you know, rapport or when they recognize you, you've reached that fourth degree of impact where you're like, oh my gosh, like how, how does this person that I've been following, they don't even know they've been mentoring me, but they just totally recognized the work I've done. That's wild, right? So when you follow that and you're like, okay, exposure, that's why it's so important to make content always and document always and share always because it's that consistent touch point. Again, going back to that mere exposure effect, that familiarity effect, the more people see your face, hear your story, understand what drives you, why you wake up every morning to lead your company, the more likely they're going to create more familiarity they're going to know you more. They're going to know about your brand. And most likely if they ever have like a season where like, oh, top of mind, that one person does this, I need to reach out to them. You're going to be that person and you're eventually going to create like a sale or get them, you know, into the system somehow because they constantly think about your content all the time. The things that you say, probably to your staff, probably to your colleagues, you know, even Zoom calls are great to record because you never know what comes out of Zoom calls, like just the, the communication part. But that's just exposure, right? There's another stop, um, another segment under exposure, which is called discovery. So like I, you saw some of my posts, you were exposed to those things. You're like, oh, I need to find out more, right? So as you go through the stranger to, to client journey, that discovery phase is next. And you're like, oh, I got to do more research about this brand. I got to do research about this person. I need to start looking at their post and maybe even go to Instagram, Twitter, different platforms. Like they get curious enough, right? To, to kind of go into that discovery mode. And then they finally go into this consideration mode. They're like, oh, you know what? I've watched like seven videos of, of Joel. You know, I've, I've listened to 10 of his podcasts. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to consider just you know, jumping in the comment section. I'm going to consider just shooting him a DM and seeing if he responds. I'm going to consider reaching out to his team. You know, I might need some help with this or that. So it goes from consideration to that nice, uh, that nice bottom of that funnel, which is conversion, right? They actually started doing work with you. They start becoming a client of yours. They start 
you know, getting into this, this groove now of like, oh, this is a relational thing. And, you know, it's a value trade and then there's a transaction being made. And then you go into a client um, relationship. So you start building out that relationship and that last bottom uh, of the thing there is client retention. How do I continue to nurture our relationship and keep that relationship? So that is like the scope of what a marketing funnel looks like, like a typical journey. And this is the same funnel that's used for personal branding, right? You could apply this to your executive brand. If you're, you know, thinking about, you know, your audience's journey, how do they discover you? How do they discover not only you, but your authentic you, right? Because, you know, everybody's kind of in this, you know, we call it crock brain, mentality. It's like a security. And I'm sure you're familiar with that, but it's in our frontal lobe. And it's like a security system. Like, you know, when a sales pitch is coming, when you see someone's mm-hmm. banner and say like, I'm a performance coach. And you know, when you, when you get an ad and connect on Here LinkedIn, like, Oh yeah. my gosh, they're going to, they're going to jump on my DM. Right. Like how many of those do we get a day? <laughs> like, Oh my gosh. But that, that our security, you know, part in our brain is like, red flag, they're going to want to sell you something. So how do we disarm that? That's why, again, I'm going back to the markers of ruin everything is that they're not, <laughs> I feel like we're not smart enough to, to like, cause we have a, 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 we're so attached to a sale, right? Because it's been ingrained and it's like numbers, like, Oh, you got to hit your quota this month or else, you know, our department's going to fry up and, you know, we're going to, have to let you go because our, you know, it doesn't make sense to our bottom line, which is what a lot of companies deal with. And their turnaround is ridiculously crazy. Right. But if they really just focused on building that department, which I, I would call it a media department, because that's what marketing is. It's just documenting and demonstrating who you are as a brand and who you are as a person, as a leader of the brand. Right. And you're documenting that, sharing that with people and I really wish I could read kind of frame marketing as just, oh, it's just media, right? It's just showing people what you do, who you are, and why you do it. And now they're, you're in a position of permission-based marketing where it's like, hey, you want to come hang out with me? All right. Like Facebook is just like, I, I could tell you exactly what Facebook is in one sentence, right? I, I'm bored. Come hang out. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Right. So I'm playing the role of like the, uh, the tech leader. So there was a, there was a point in time when I didn't have a podcast, right? Right. Uh, there was, you know, I'd say 20 different times I'd find myself sitting on like after work on an afternoon with my, my, one of my buddies, Derek, who's been on the show before. And this is like, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. And we would, you know, brainstorm starting a blog or maybe writing an open source project or like, yeah. you know, doing different things, different ways to share like our knowledge or our experience that we've had. And, you know, they never really came about. There's always that like hesitation. <laughs> so like, I'm so comfortable with content now. It's ridiculous. So I, yeah. I try to remind myself first couple times, you know, starting to put out, put out content. But, you know, for the person who's, you know, taking it seriously. And they, they said, okay, I want, I want to get from that stranger to know yeah. phase. And I've done the, the bio I've done the headshot. And then the, the content I have found from my experience is really, really useful. in that next stage, because like, if I interview you 
to come work for me. And then we leave. Well, we spent that time together, yeah. right? 30, 40 minutes or whatnot. But now I have, I have no more John. <laughs> That's it. That was my complete, I can't go online and read about you for five hours. I can't no. go read your blog to see what you've been thinking if you don't have one or how you think on specific topics yeah. or even the progression of your writing. I can't watch your vlog videos. I can't watch you talking to other industry experts about specific to I can't get to know you better because you have no additional content. That's that's absolutely right. And you know it's so funny because I, I talk to executives every single day and a lot of times the conversation is like, why, like for me, I'm telling them, I'm like, why are you being so selfish? <laughs> yeah. Like, imagine telling like a high level CEO of multi-million dollar company, like, why are you being so selfish? He's like, John, what do you mean selfish? I was like, I don't see you making any content. I don't see you making, putting anything out there. Like you're, you're leading a, a, a company, you're leading people and you're being selfish because you're not sharing your leadership, you're not sharing, you're, you're not giving people an experience to get to know who you really are behind the brand, right? And most things are just filtered through comms teams anyway. That's the right. Oh, I got yeah. a marketing team for that. Oh, I got an email to, you know, I got a copywriter for, <laughs> for that. It's like, no, 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 no. You got to make content. I want to know you as a CEO, as a CTO, as a CMO, as a, you name it, right? Even the most like tedious task, right? Uh, CFO, right? I want to just know you as a person because every single person that has, you know, a leadership role is a human being. You got a family, they got, they love hobbies. You got hobbies. I, like that is the quickest way to build rapport. I feel when people can align and be like, oh, I didn't know they liked fishing. I love fishing. Let's talk about fishing. What can we talk about? Right? Or like, oh, you're, you're, you know, you're an engineer. Right? What do you think of Web3? <laughs> like, what can we talk about? The camaraderie part is the thing that brings us closer. What can we find together that makes sense and have alignment in? And that's why I absolutely love our friendship. You know, every time we hang out and every time we talk, I'm like, well, we could talk for hours, just geeking out and like talk about life. We just have so much alignment in many different, you know, areas of our life, you know, and like the journey that we're on, right. Where it's just like, we have so much camaraderie. It's just so natural to, to continue having those conversations. So what are, what are these executives and, and these tech leaders, how are they creating camaraderie even when they're not having that face-to-face? -face? Cause we're busy people. Right. They're, they're busy. They're running a company. So how, how do you, how do you decide like you have all these avenues? Like, Oh, I could go start a podcast. Mm -hmm. I could, you don't have to interview people. You can just do a, one of the most successful podcasts is this guy that I love named uh, Jonathan Curtell, I think is sorry if I'm butchering your name, buddy, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, it's called developer tea and it's essentially a monologue yeah. type deal. Yeah. It's a short 15 minute deals. But, um, like there's so many opportunities to create content. Absolutely. Most popular is blogging, yeah. you know, YouTube channels, yeah. you know, no one really goes on MySpace anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, I logged into but, mine a couple of weeks ago. It was scary. Uh, <laughs> Just for fun. How, Just shows me, you know, it reminds me of where I came from. <laughs> how, how do you, how do you, how do you help people? Yeah. Like, let's talk like you're, 
how do you help them figure out like where to start? I like, love this. How do you start? I love this question because it's really simple, right? It's, and it's, it's, it seems complicated. Where do I start? That question I think comes from, it stems from the root of, I've seen that them do it. I could never do that. Right. I could never get on camera. I'm not a tech technical person. I, I barely know how to, to send a text message. Right. Well, you shouldn't be in the tech space, by the way, my, my, <laughs> my opinion. Right. But a lot of things stem and root from the comparison complex. Like, oh, they're already, but you have no idea how many years that Joel has been doing this for. You don't know how many times he's practiced over and over and over again. I can guarantee you, if you can think back to your first podcast, mm-hmm. how exciting oh, I know is that? that right now? Right. You could even say, yeah. like, how was that experience? Tell me about it. Uh, it was Derek. It was, we actually aired it as like the sixth, like, I don't know. It wasn't the first, we didn't air it as the first. Why did you um, air it as the first? I can't remember why, to be honest with you. I know that we, we released a batch at once. Yeah. And I think in my best guess right now, cause it's like five years ago. Yeah. My best guess is that like in that first batch of like four or six, uh, it just, they did, we didn't have them in a particular order. Yeah. So maybe that's why, but yeah, I, I remembered when I was researching, they said, you know, the worst thing, one of the worst things you can do when launching a podcast is have a really great podcast and only have one episode and people will hate you for it. <laughs> yeah. And so I Cause said, they're okay, hungry for it. Cool. It's like watching your favorite yeah. episode or season. Right. And, and then like right now, like Boba Fett on, you know, on Disney plus is like my jam. I watched all the Marvel and star Wars uh, series. And if they just skipped a week, I would be so mad because it's consistency. It's showing up. Imagine if they didn't tell you that, oh yeah, we're not going to air this week or next week or the week after that. We are going to kind of just like leave you hanging. How, how frustrating would that be for someone that's completely just hooked on to that first episode? Right. That's kind of like doing the same thing. But I go back to that because you've been doing this for a long time and it's taken practice and you've learned and changed, adapt, you know, done some things like played, even like right now, you look phenomenal. Your lighting, your, your microphone, the audio, the video, like the process that you created was through the compound effect of failure, right? So the idea is your first video is going to be your worst video. Your first podcast is going to be your worst podcast. Your first blog is going to be your worst blog. But if you don't continue to do something, right? And the best I guess my best advice to get started is look within, what do you like to do? Do you like reading articles? Do you like watching content on YouTube? Do you like watching micro pieces of content? Whatever you gravitate to, like I always do the, what's my first action on social media test, right? So like I'll wake up, I'll do my daily routine, my hour of power or whatever. I'll spend time with my kids. I'll drink my coffee, my breakfast. What do I do after that? What social platform do I go on? What do I gravitate to most? Maybe it's pulling up the, the Wall Street Journal, which I, I enjoy doing, right? And just looking at the highlights and the, you know, the trends. It's maybe jumping on Twitter. Maybe it's all, what's the first action? And then you look back and you're like, oh, I didn't realize I tend to like going on Twitter and just reading. I should probably just start writing, and just start there and doing that over and over for five years. 
really that's what, how long it takes to start getting into the groove, hopefully sooner. But I think people are afraid of the process and that's what scares them. I think they are afraid of how long it will take to learn something new because they spent their whole career climbing the ladder and it took them like, I guarantee you every single executive, every single person that's in a leadership position didn't just wake up and become there, become that leader that, that the company needed to drive the company. Right. It took time. And I think people are afraid of like really beginning something new again or feeling like they're not, you know, good at something because they've been so great at it for so long that they're like, Oh, I got to learn this new thing. You know, how long that's going to take me. Right. It's almost like, um, you know, when back in the day, when, you know, you had a, you were single and you're like dating and all that stuff. You're like, Oh my gosh, like long-term relationships. And that didn't work out. And you're like, oh, I got to meet someone again and like do the whole dating and what, <laughs> what not. I'm sorry. I went on a really like <laughs> rabbit trail, but it's kind of the same. Yeah. It's kind of similar to, making content and the fear. Yeah. yeah, The the fear fear of starting over. Yeah. The fear of starting over is a real thing. And not only the fear of starting over the, but the fear of this is a new muscle. I have to work out. It's like creativity is a muscle and making these podcasts for you. The, the, I guess my advice would, would be what's the closest thing that is not building tension or creating friction, but you got to ride your wind. You got to ride your wave. You got to ride what comes more natural to you and start there because you don't want to add another task. You're busy. I get it. All right. I want to share something with you, please. Okay. You just inspired me to, I remember this story. Oh yeah. I love this. So I wanted to, you know, get fit. I wanted to have some sort of like physical hobby. Yeah. This is a while back. And I was researching and reading around and I came across this content and they were talking about like how, how to make these changes in your life. Right. Because everybody says, Oh, you know, you've got different motivations. Some people are like, I want to be a YouTube star. Or some people are like, I just want to have some content out there right. so that w- when I'm seeking opportunities, people have some stuff to chew on. Yeah. You have all of these different things, but the, th- the thing that makes people successful in and this article I was reading was when they pair it with their identity. Mm. So, so like if you wake up and you're like, am I going to run today? And that being a question (laughs) is different than you wake up and you say, I'm a runner. So I'm going to go do my thing. Yes. And like, there's, then there's no question. Are you going to run today? It's like, like, that's what I do. Yeah. I'm a runner. It's what I do. I have my running shoes. And so then you'll start to buy special shoes for running and buy your running outfit. And, and you have to like fuse it in, in part of your identity. So like, if I was a, a newer professional or if I was a professional that wanted to start creating content to some degree, yeah. I would literally start looking at myself like I am a CTO, but I also create content to help the next generation. Yeah. I'm a CTO, but I help content create content so my team can know me better yes. because yeah. I, I have 50 people under me and I can't spend all the time in the world with them. Yes. Maybe it's not to become famous. Maybe it's just to get your own people within your own organization That's, to know you that better. That is so accurate and so true there's so much truth into that because again if you're running like a 50 employee company even you know a a bigger larger company than that you can't spend all the time with them what what can you do to create proximity to your team so that they build an affinity for uh you leading and trusting that you can lead a company right and 
funny enough is that when you do the research, you know, I, I've listened to a, a lot of Gary Vee stuff and he talks about his company culture. He has a chief of culture, right? And what he's doing is when, when their employees see his content out there and like, you know, just the brand that he's built, they're like more likely to stay and be a part of the company because he puts himself out there so much that it's just like, yeah, like what he says is true. And he has accountability to the things that he, that he says, which creates a dynamic and uh, exciting company culture where it's like, I don't really want to, I don't really see myself leaving here because the CEO, the founder is, is really um, a media person that's he's not even they don't even have to be technical it's just like they just always drive the vision and i get to hear the vision on a daily basis and i get to attach myself and say yeah i want to work for that guy or girl you know i want to work for that leader and i want to be part of that company and what you don't recognize is that you'll start getting you know people from all over the world that will stumble upon your content and be like what would it be like to work for and with them Right. And like I always say, like you're one piece of content away from changing the trajectory of your company. You never know. Right. You just never know. And if you keep on doing that and practicing just like a muscle, right, you're going to be a practitioner of it. And you're going to start learning because, again, the future of business is, is personal. The future of business is, is built on, you know, uh, impact and proximity and human impact. If you're trying to create human impact and create, you know, a phenomenal company culture, or even, you know, what drives you every morning and the vision that you have, you got to communicate that not just with the world, but you can even communicate that with like a weekly, you know, video newsletter to your employees. And they just go, it just sends out to your employees through email. Yeah. Right. A hundred percent. It's just about relationships and just technology, using technology to amplify your reach and connect with your people. That's funny that you mentioned, I think his chief heart officer is Claude Silver. Mm. Uh, she, uh, I, I think it was like three years ago, we were licensing some of our content for leadership development training. And she was, you know, the closest thing to head of HR. And I was trying to get a meeting with her and like, she wouldn't meet with me. Right. And I was like, dang, like I got it. I was like, what, what, what could I do? And so I was listening (laughs) to a Gary Vee video and he was talking about like just crazy ways to get in front of people. Yeah. (laughs) And so I had, I was following her online and I saw she was having a kid. Well, at the time I had a, a children's charity, like where we made these, these books, these like children's books. Yeah. So I said, all right, well, this, this is what we're going to do. I talked to Chloe, I was like, Chloe, let's get some of these books together, wrap them up. Let's just mail them to her office with like a little congratulations card. Oh. And I, I, I wrote something along the lines of like, Claude, I'm not trying to be creepy, but I want to stand <laughs> out. And I was listening to Gary Vee on how to stand out. So I hope this is acceptable. Oh, so Joel. <laughs> And you know what's so funny? I love that story because again, when you're leading, you know, a department or you're in charge or or responsible, you know, your days can get filled up and your schedule can get filled up and it's just noise. Anything that tries to, you know, dive, like distract you becomes noise. So it's not, I mean, I'm not surprised it's like, can't get a call, but doing those things where you're able to drive value and just, you know, his book, uh, Jab, 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 
right hook is is a great example of it. It's basically saying give, 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 ask, right? So, and I love the opening line, not trying to be creepy. Yeah. And then you're like, you need to finish the sentence. I, I have to, like my psycho, like my brain has to be like, oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> like, what, yeah. like finish that sentence. <laughs> like, what is this going to sound like, you know? I'm either going to need to call the police or I'm going to have... Training <laughs> order, alert, <laughs> like... <laughs> um, no, but she met with me. She did. Yeah. And she, pff, my yeah. gosh, yeah. So it, it it's, it's fascinating because, uh, again, going back to the marketing part, the whole department, marketing could be really summed up as, as um, attention, right? And that whole thing is like, how do I get people's attention? And, you know, when you add, and, and the whole history of marketing, um, if we go back, it, it went all the way back to the first printing press, right? So like you had to, like they were communicate. it's a communication tool. What are you communicating? What message? And then that evolved. Like imagine like with a printing press, imagine if you're a business owner, like maybe you sell couches or something like that back in the day, like, and you're trying to tell people buy your stuff you have to figure out how to create a message on a newspaper like for people to read bro bro you would just shout it from a mountaintop (laughs) (laughs) i'm selling this couch (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) right that's that's what they would do so like that's the first the first marketing campaign (laughs) is like you know, you go to town square and you, you say, Hey, I'm selling my couch. Right. Uh, yeah. then printing press. Right. And then, <laughs> then the radio came and you're like, how do I sell a couch? Like with just voice and with just oh. 30 seconds. Right. And it was like a time thing. And then, then TV came, you're like, how do I sell a couch just visually if they can't sit on it and I only have 15 seconds and then time got shorter because the tension spans got shorter. And then social media came. It's like, how do I sell a couch? on social media well, the the attention span seven seconds and they can't see it. So, you know, like there was just so many complicated, but now like how marketing has evolved. And I think it, uh, the influencer marketing industry became like a billion dollar industry pre COVID. And then, you know, like people are starting to sell stuff and you're like, Oh, that's my favorite person. My celebrity. Oh, they're selling like, they're a part of that brand. I got to buy that. Right. I think the very first influencer was like Oprah. Right. Or <laughs> back in the day, but they're using personal brands to sell stuff. Right. Because of the oh, trust, yeah. no likability. That's why you have, you know, if you want to sell a couch, just let Shaq sell it because he sells everything. Apparently <laughs> like he'll do every, any commercial. <laughs> Like I see him all over the place. He's selling insurance. He's selling this. I'm like, just get Shaq to sell it. It's fine. People will buy. <laughs> but, He's got some great life advice. I see him on, you know, like social media with yeah. these little clips of him oh talking. Gosh. Every time I see him, I stop to watch because he's always got something that will make you think. It, it does. I feel like he's just come to a place. I think he's like, I don't want to be a celebrity anymore. I'm just a human being. Right. He'll, he'll actually go to like EDC and, and all that stuff and hang out with fans. You know, like he's like a normal human being. And I think going back to Shaq, he has a phenomenal, strong personal brand. Uh, I would say it's strong because it's so relatable. Like he's just honest and authentic. He doesn't care. He's, he's Shaq. He made it like this dude made it but he's still willing to hang out and spend time with people because he's, he's a normal human being, which is crazy. And I'm like, Oh, if I could take a chapter out of his book, I just need to start being a normal human being and having, you know, conversations with, with people and don't think 
of myself as on oh, this busy leader person. In fact, like how do we start getting back to the human to human impact, right? Well, how can I start having more conversations with people? And I think the collaborative part and the thing that's really exciting about what we do is that creativity shouldn't be siloed. It shouldn't just be you. Creativity happens when you get, like even throughout this whole podcast, there's been ideas that spark new ideas and new stories and new, and it just creates and evolves. That's why I love the idea of collaboration so much and, and doing creativity together and building teams to, to create that, that environment of like, you never know what could happen. You never know what ideas could be born but then those ideas need a plan, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> when when you were talking about, um, I guess it would be like, not necessarily attention, but like attention spans, yeah. right? Yeah. Getting shorter. So I've thought a lot about that because it's a common phrase and there's plenty of data. I've looked it up. There's plenty of data yeah. that shows that that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, and but then there's also plenty of data that shows like Joe Rogan's like the most successful personality yeah. in the world right now. Right. Yeah, like two hour podcasts. Yeah. They like listen to form every content, second. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so I was trying to like within myself, trying to somehow settle that, like, okay, if, if the attention spans like not like not even 15 seconds, yeah. but yet people are listening for three hours. Like how, how do you, how do you reconcile, reconcile all that? And <laughs> so I've come up with this. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I don't, I haven't tested this. I haven't run this by the experts, yeah. but what I've come up with looking within myself, I always start with like subjectively first Yeah. is, uh, it's not uh, attention span as much as it is like time to value. Yeah. So yeah, you're so like, spot on. Like if I give people value right away and then I continue to deliver value and I'm like value, 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 that, that's what, that's what Rogan's podcast is doing. That is, you know, yeah. he instantly, right when the show starts, they cut it in at some interesting part of the mm-hmm. conversation, right? Well, yeah. So boom, value. That's the formula I think today, because um, I, I think two things about the attention span and value is, is number one, your you know, I always say like your vibe attracts your tribe. If you're not, you're not going to reach everybody. If you're trying to reach everybody, you're going to reach nobody. So if you understand exactly who your audience is, like Joe Rogan understands, he has a very, very broad audience. But what is intriguing is that he is, he's asking the questions that we want to ask from experts or, you know, subject matter experts in their field. And throughout that whole two hour journey or however long it is, putting that like that most aha moment or mic drop moment or just exciting moment up front to tee it up gets the attention. And it, again, going back to the croc brain, it kind of breaks a, um, past the security system that we have in our brains. Now it's um, funny enough, a goldfish spends like seven seconds or six seconds. Ours is like three. So what does that say? Society. Right. Um, but if you are super goldfish, we're super <laughs> goldfish. <laughs> Super Saiyan goldfish. No, I was watching a lot of Dragon Ball Z growing up. Uh, I just thought of a goldfish with like Goku's hair. Um, basically, what we're saying is up front, people want to know why they're watching. All right. They, they want to know, are, am I going to invest time into this? Because time is a, value, a currency in today's world, especially 
especially in the executive world, time is currency. And they're going to choose, you know, what they give their time to. So if you're making content or making, you know, uh, valuable content, you're like, oh my gosh, I, I know this person would absolutely love this podcast. They need to listen to it. And you send it to them. You probably have this, have had this happen in the past. You send them, you send a friend a podcast that you're like, you need to listen to this, right? The whole thing. Like I was just thinking about you, the whole podcast. And then you send it to him and like a week goes by, you're like, dude, did you listen to it? He's like, oh man, I didn't listen to it. Like, oh, I'm sorry. I've just been so busy, you know? And then like that happens. You're like, dude, when, when are you going to listen to it? And it never happens. Right. It, it's because the value it's like, it was valuable to you because it actually captured your time. You traded your time for the value that you got from it. But if that podcast put up front, three seconds, five seconds of value that grabs that person. Oh, this is what I'm going to get into. I am here. I'm going to grab my popcorn. I'm going to listen to it. And they deep dive into it as it gradually tells a story and like, Oh, I need to find out where that part of the podcast is. They're going to stay all the way to the end because they're hooked. Right? So that's the hook. You got to find, uh, if you're making content that, that you want retention on, you gotta, you gotta hook your audience. You gotta let them know up front, like, this is what you're going to get from this content. Enjoy it. Stick around. There's more exciting stuff happening, right? I want to make sure that we get any sort of calls to action. Um, people want to learn more about you. Yeah. What's your website? How do they find you online? Yeah, awesome. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It was so much fun. I felt like this the time was so short because we just... I love having conversations with you, bro. Um, so if you want to find out more about who I am and what we do, you can go to executivebrandgrowth.com. You can follow me on all social medias, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. I'm on all of them. It's just at John Me Diana. Media is actually in my name. I felt like I was born to do this. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's it. I would love to continue the conversation with you online, whoever's listening. And I hope this was helpful. I hope it really helped uh, your audience, Joel. Um, but start, start today. You know, you just got to start because you can't get to the hundredth episode or hundredth piece of content if you're stumbling on the first or second piece. So just do it. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.